Stand for the reading of the scriptures to this morning, John chapter 6, John chapter 6. Thank you for being here today. If you're a first-time guest or visitor or returning visitor to our church, welcome to Heritage Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here and hope you'll get a chance to tour our Berean Center facility, the building next door to us, if you haven't had a chance to see it. And uh, hope you'll get a chance to see what the Lord is doing there. And uh, hopefully you received a visitor's packet. Uh, fill out your visitor card, if you would, and put that. Uh, maybe give it to one of the, the greeters later on, and that'll help us have a record of your visit. Be here tonight for the service. We're looking forward to what God's going to do. I'm excited about the business meeting and the victory report we're going to give as far as going forward for the church. And we're praying God will do some great things in all of our hearts. Members, if you can look around you, if you see someone that doesn't have a Bible... Or maybe specifically, if they don't have a King James Version translation, if you'll help read your Bible with them, that will help them to find their place. And we're going to stay primarily in John chapter 6 today. I want to thank several of our men who covered the pulpit while I was away for uh, Pastor AJ, Brother Long, Brother Irwin, and Brother Denny. And I'm thankful that the Lord has raised a very capable men who can handle the scriptures and to feed our souls when I'm gone. And I'm thankful for that. And they're very capable in one way or the other. And thank you for being at church. I know this has been the last few days, a lot of adverse weather and... Um, uh, sickness here, but we're all going to prevail and get past that. And we're looking forward as the weather starts to warm up a little bit more that we'll have a full house of people here. And we're just excited for the things God is going to do through Heritage Baptist Church. John chapter 6. Let's do this this morning. I'm going to read the odd number verse. I like you to read the even number verse for no other reason. I just want to make sure you're awake today, man. So I want to make sure I'm going to hear your voices today and see what's going on there. Uh, the Bible says, My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. And I want to hear your voice today. Make sure you are with me. Amen. And if I hear something that doesn't sound like the scriptures, then I'll know where to zone in. Amen. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Congregation. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Congregation. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, listen to this question, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? Congregation. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them. How me understand he's doing some calculation there, amen? He's thinking, how much money do we have to feed all of these people? He says, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. When he said a little, I mean very little, okay? Congregation, verse 8. One of his disciples. There is a lad here, a little boy. A little boy. There's a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes. Uh, Ray Kroc got his idea about a Happy Meal from this verse. Amen? Five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? In congregation, Jesus said, Would you notice that? Five thousand men plus women and children. How many believe that's a big number of people? Amen? Amen. Culinary team, would you like to serve up food for that number of people? Amen? Yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I'm casting vision right now. Yeah. And Jesus took the loaves. Bible, aren't you glad Jesus takes whatever we give him? Would you give him your life? 
And Jesus took the loaves. And when he'd given thanks, aren't you glad everything Jesus receives, he gives thanks for? What's that tell you and me? And Jesus took the loaves, and when he'd given thanks, he distributed it to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down. And likewise of the fishes as much as they would. Congregation, verse 12. And when they were filled... How many understand this morning Jesus appreciates leftovers too? How many love leftovers? Amen? Those are great leftovers. I'm thinking, some leftovers are great. Amen? I'm getting hungry right now. But we're not going to end service yet. Amen? Verse 13, we're done. Therefore they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Very familiar story. We'll say something about it in a moment. Feeding of the 5,000. Stories. It's a real story. It's not a myth. It's not made up. It's captured the imaginations of children, teenagers, adults, churches. If I call your attention to verses 5 and 6, would you go there, please? We're in a series entitled, Nothing But the Truth. Jesus asked a question to Philip, but when he asked it, it was posed to all of the disciples, all 12 of them. And in this question, he was testing them to see how they would either react or how they would respond. When you're asked a question, what will you do? And when it's the Lord of heaven, the creator of all the earth, asks a question, we must listen very carefully. Whence shall we buy bread? I mean, Jesus already made up his mind. He says, we need to feed these people. Where are you going to get the bread from? Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? He wanted to feed the people. It was late in the afternoon. We'll say this later on. They were way, way out in the desert. Wilderness area, Bethsaida, Bethsaida. And notice verse 6. And this he said to prove him. Circle that word prove. Don't just underline. Circle the word prove today. This he said to prove him. For he himself, that's Jesus Christ, knew what he would do. Do you know when the Lord asks you to do something, he already knows what he's going to do? He doesn't ask his questions because he doesn't know the answer. He asks his questions to see how we're going to respond. Do you know there are important questions that are found in the Bible? For instance, in Acts 16.31, the the Philippian jailer asked the question, what must I do to be saved? That's an important question. And Jesus asked a question here. When shall we buy bread that these may eat? For this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. I want to preach you a message this morning for a few minutes entitled, Pass or Fail. Pass or Fail. Father, bless the word now. Just as Jesus took these loaves of bread, and he thanked you for it, And he distributed it to 12 men. 
who in turn were to feed or to distribute it to as many as 15 to 20,000 people. Help us to capture some vital principles this morning. Help us to capture the principle or the truth concerning our accountability or our reckoning. The Bible says this he said to prove him, to find out what was really in his heart, to find out where was he at in his spiritual life. Father, I pray this morning, you know there are varying degrees of spiritual growth here in our church. And our desire, Lord, is that everyone here would grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you as we consider these lows. It points to a bigger picture, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life. We thank you as the bread of life that he that takes of Christ will never hunger again, spiritually speaking. Father, I need you to help me. Help me to speak clearly. Lord, help me to speak with authority. Help me to speak in the power of the Holy Spirit so that today the souls of your congregation are fed and well-nourished. Speak to us today. Probe us. Help us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What is the hardest test or examination you've ever had to take? DMV test? A professional examination? A test to get into professional school? What is the hardest test or examination you've ever taken? A police recruit was asked during the exam, listen to this, okay, somewhat humorous, but was asked during the exam to qualify to be a police officer. They said, what would you do if you had to arrest your own mother? That's an interesting question, amen? What would you do to arrest your own mother? And immediately he replied, I would call for backup. A young man took a, took a class on the study of orthonology, which is a study of birds. And uh, the teacher had a reputation for being very, very difficult and was very, very unpredictable what he would do. And so he taught through these lessons and the students sat through these lessons and Teacher said, okay, and I want you guys all ready for this final exam. You don't, really don't know what to expect, but make sure you study every detail about the birds. From the top of their head to down their feet, you better study every aspect about these birds. I want you to know every species of bird there is. And the student studied all that he could, and he came to the class, prepared, thinking he was all ready. And so did the other students. And the teacher, again, was known for being unpredictable. He put up a PowerPoint. And on this PowerPoint, if you can imagine the size of our banner here, the PowerPoint had pictures, not of the bird's body, not of their feathers or their wings, but it had pictures across the screen, across the PowerPoint, of all the feet of the birds. That's all they saw. It was all the feet of the birds. And he asked this question. He says, now, he said, what I'd like you to do, there are 25 bird species here, 25 bird species of, wall, of, of feet here. I want you to tell me, to name for me, every species of bird. Now, I don't know about you, if I had to look at someone's foot, I couldn't tell him from head from toe, amen, you know? And these students were told that you have to look at these feet of these birds and determine which of these, what bird is that? Well, this student that was in there, he started looking at the, at the picture and, and he started looking and he got very, very frustrated. And he thought, this is crazy. Nobody can get through this test. And he says, he finally takes the examination, goes up to the instructor and says, I'm not going to take this test. 
He said, son, you've got to take this test if you want to pass this class. He said, this is crazy. You've shown us a picture of all these birds' feet. There's no way, there's no way anyone can pass this test. I mean, you're, you're asking us to figure out what's going on here with these feet. He said, I'm looking at all these birds' feet. I don't know what birds are. He said, son, you're supposed to have known that. If you don't, pa- if you don't fill in the blanks and name off what those birds' feet are, what birds those are, you're not going to pass this test. You're going to fail. He said, well, I'm just going to turn in. He says, well, therefore, I'm going to fail you. He said, you better, you better take this test or you fail. Well, the, the student got so upset about that. He, he took off his shoes, took off his feet. He says, okay, you tell me what feet these are. Who do I belong to, you know? And he was going pushing back at the teacher saying, well, if you want me to figure out, you figure out what I, who I am. And the teacher looked and says, you know, I don't even know this kid's name. I can't tell his name from looking at his feet, you know? And I think of this, we look at that tonight, this morning, I think about the fact that sometimes there are tests, examinations we get that are way over our heads. Why don't you notice our past scripture this morning? There are tests that we take in certain subjects or abilities to perform our duties. These are competency tests. Uh, we take eye exams to determine visual acuity. Should I wear glasses, not wear glasses? You know, driver's license, they want to know, can you see properly? Do you have to wear glasses? We take professional examinations on areas like engineering and accounting and law and nursing and medicine, dentistry, so forth, because we want a minimum competency level of that person who's going to be practicing in that area. You want to know that people that are driving on the road, they've passed their driver's exam, they have some minimum, a minimal competency so they're able to drive on that road. Our passage this morning takes us to somewhere around the, around maybe around the second year of our Lord's ministry. It's a familiar story of the feeding of the multitudes. This story is so prominent, we find it in all four of the Gospels. We find it in Matthew 14, verses 14 to 22. Mark chapter 6, verses 34 to 44. Luke chapter 9, verses 10 to 17. And all of this occurred at, the, at a timing when John the Baptist, was his head was cut off. John the Baptist had been killed by Herod. Jesus, of course, and word came back to Jesus. He already knew this was going to happen, but word came back to Jesus. And, of course, Jesus was, uh, was very hurt by that. And Jesus went off into a mountain place. We're told that here in John chapter 6. He went off to a mountain place, and the other gospel narratives tell us that he went apart to those places to pray. He wanted some private time away, and as Jesus went away there, the Bible tells us he went into this desert area, this wilderness area of Bethsaida. It was far on the other side of the Sea of Galilee there, and as he was, as he was there, as we find in chapter 6 here of John, he went there, and the multitudes found out, great multitudes and crowds found out about him. Yet remember, Jesus' popularity had arisen at that time where people knew about his miracles, they knew about the healing of people, he knew about demons being cast out. I mean, word spread about all the miracles that he did, and there were those who were very curious about who Jesus Christ was, and there were those who really believed that he was the Son of God, and then there were many of those who were against what he did. And Jesus is here in this, this area of Bethsaida on a desert area far from the water. The multitudes come to him. He's teaching the word of God. He's healing people. He's doing great work in ministry. And quite honestly, as we read all of the, the accounts there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it was a very, very exhausting day. It was a day of hard work. It was a day where there were just me, Jesus, and disciples are ministering to thousands of people. He's healing many people. People are coming to him by the droves. They're thankful that they came to the Lord Jesus Christ there. And the day is drawing to an end. And you have to imagine the disciples are very tired. Jesus is fatigued a little bit there, physically speaking. And he turns to Philip and he says, well, uh, where can we get some bread to, fi- to feed these people? 
And Jesus had a heart for them. In fact, the other gospel narratives, he asked the same question, but he makes a statement, give ye them to eat. And as we study that, it's actually a command. Jesus was concerned for those people, and the disciples instead said, Lord, well, we don't have time to feed them. In fact, Lord, if anything, send them away. It's almost dark here, and we don't have enough food. We don't have enough resources. We're just Baptist preachers, and we don't have enough resources. And Philip responds, he had done some calculation, or maybe he had talked to Judas Iscariot, who was the treasurer and in control of the bag, and he says, well, Judas, how much money do you think it will take to feed these people? And, and Philip responds, just, well, Lord Jesus, he says, you know, if we had 200 penny worth of bread, he says, uh, it may not be enough to feed all of them even if we just gave them a little bit, and a little bit is just basically a little more, so we just gave them maybe just a little bit to hold them over if you would. And the Bible says in verse 6 here of John chapter 6, Jesus said this to prove him. Regardless of that, we find that Andrew's listening to this question. And Andrew's kind of an interesting character. We'll study him as we go along here a little bit more. But wherever you find Andrew, Andrew serves somewhat as a catalyst. Andrew serves the capacity, he's bringing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a good thing, amen? He looks at opportunities, can I get this person to Jesus? And he's listening to all this discussion going on because some of the disciples were a little bit, uh, they were a little bit flustered and, and frustrated because Jesus said, we'll give you them to eat. And they're thinking, what, what are we going to do? And Lord, there's only 12 of us here, and how are we going to serve all these people here? And it's nighttime, let them go home, let them find their own food, let them take care of themselves. And Andrew's out scoping. He's looking among him. He, I, his eye catches a little boy there. The, eye, the little boy has maybe a, 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 maybe a, a, a kind of like a blanket, a satchel around his, around his neck and his side there. It was kind of his picnic basket, if you would. And he identified that he said, well, that's what little kids carry. And he went up, probably had a conversation with the little boy, and found out that his mother packed him a little snack, knowing that he would be away for a period of time. And, you know, little boys get hungry. Little boys, they have hollow legs. You can feed them. They are never filled. Amen? You know, that's how they are. And he said to his mother, gave him some food, gave him five little barley loaves. In fact, John is more specific than the other writers. He describes as five little barley loaves. We know from our studies of this that the two little fishes were small anchovy-type fishes they pulled out of the Sea of Galilee. I mean, just really enough just as this little snack to hold the little boy over. It was nothing of any means to give anybody a meal or help satisfy the appetite of an adult. And Andrew finds this little boy. Notice when Andrew says here, he says, Lord, there's a lad here. There's a little boy here. Now, if you said something like that to other adults, they would look at this and kind of discount, what, what do you mean a little boy here? But he goes on and tells Jesus in the midst of the other disciples, hey, there's a little lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes. And then he asks this question. He says, now, Lord, I found somebody's got some food. I found some source of nutrition. I found some source of food. I found someone who's got a little bit of bread. He says, but what are these among so many? I mean, Lord, this is just a little bit. How are we going to satisfy the appetites? How are we going to get this all done? But you know, Jesus didn't say anything about that. And the, the little boy had accompanied him. As we read the passage of Scripture here, we know that the little boy accompanies him. And really, the little boy had already committed his lunch basket to Jesus. Because the little boy, this, this conversation wouldn't have happened if the little boy hadn't given his satchel to Jesus. Somewhere along the way, I think Andrew talked to him and said, hey, you know, Jesus, the master, is looking for someone that could donate their food. Would you be willing to donate your food? And the little boy, I think, unreservedly said, yeah, Jesus can have whatever I got. Isn't it amazing how children just have a willing spirit to do things? And I imagine there, I don't think he was the only one. I think there were some adults. I think there were some maybe even disciples that probably brought some secret food with them. They brought, I just know that because I know church members, wherever they go, they have food with them all the time. Amen. I know what church members go to find some food. Amen. You know. I know just some church members, they got food in the back of their trunk all the time. It's fresh food. Amen. 
But this is the only one they found that was willing to give his food to Jesus because when Andrew came to Jesus, he says, there's a little ladder which has five barley and two fishes. It was implied this boy was donating this little meal to Jesus Christ. Andrew scratched his head like this. He says, well, how are we going to feed all these people with this? You know, is it amazing? Jesus took those loaves. Among those 12 men, that little boy standing there, and the Bible tells us this verse that he looked up to heaven and he gave thanks. And he did something very incredible. I want you to listen to me for just a minute. I'm giving you the introduction and we'll get right to our subject. He looks up to heaven. He gives thanks for the food. He did something incredible. Five little barley loaves. Like soup crackers. Two little fishes. And I'm not sure if all 12 of those men saw how small this was. But Jesus just started breaking and gave to each one of these men equal proportions. These tired disciples take these equal proportions of barley loaves and fishes. And Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. Let's, let's, get, let's organize this process. Take all these people and divide them up in groups of 50s and groups of 100. And he says, all of you are going to go out. I'm going to give to you, and you're going to give to them. By the way, that's the Christian life. He gives to us so we can give to others. Amen? Yes, he gives to us so we can give to others. We are distributors of the grace of God. Write that down. Amen? We are distributors of the grace of God. We're distributors of his goodness. By the way, we're distributors of his gospel. Don't be a hoarder. Amen? Be a distributor. Be a giving person. If we're going to go forward for Jesus Christ, be a giving person. And so he breaks it up and gives it to these 12 men. And I don't know what time period it, it took, and it really doesn't matter. Because the Lord gave the, the, Lord gave the command, give you them to eat. So he breaks it up, and an amazing thing happens. We see this crowd of people here in 50s and 100s sitting down, and the disciples are distributing to them. Would you notice the passage? As much as they would. In other words, if I was sitting there as a participant, I basically, they, one of them says, well, would you like some? And they said, how much would you like? And they took as much as they wanted. Five little barley loaves and two little fishes. Can you imagine this miracle that's happening in the eyes of the disciples? Hey, the 5,000, the 15,000 people that were there plus, they didn't have any idea that this was all from five loaves and two fishes. But the disciples are watching this miracle unfold right before their eyes. They're breaking and giving, breaking and giving, and it's not exhausting itself. In fact, it was so much, notice what the Bible says here in this miracle. He says in verse, verse 11, And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise the fishes as much as they would. And the Bible says in verse 12, After they were filled, listen, everyone took enough, every single person that was there that got barley loaves and fishes, they were all hungry. How many understand after a time of preaching, you're hungry, amen? They ate until they were filled. Isn't that amazing? Amen? I mean, they ate until they were all filled with what they had. And so Jesus is realizing the disciples, it has not phased them. They're really not, they're really not putting it all together that what Jesus just did, he just put into their hands something with his power they were able to distribute, and God was multiplying as they were distributing it. They just happened to be the agents along the way that was distributing these barley loaves and these two fishes. And as they were feeding the crowd, then Jesus says something else that's equally remarkable as the feeding. Notice verse 12. And when they were 
filled, he said to his disciples. Now, they had already, already fed between 5,000 and 20,000 people. He says, now what I want you to do is go gather up all the leftovers. Now, I'm not sure if in their minds they're even thinking, Jesus, are you nuts? How could there be leftovers? But Jesus was trying to teach them something that they did not grasp. And we get that from reading Mark chapter 6 there. But they go out and they get these baskets. They're kind of like little laundry baskets. Now, I'll just tell you this. I don't, the Lord prepared this. God, God had 12 people there that had 12 laundry baskets. I don't know how he did it, but he just had it. They found 12 laundry because they didn't come with it. But someone brought 12 laundry baskets. And they took these laundry baskets and they went around and they went around to the 5,000, 20, 20, 5 to 20,000 people and they collected. Notice what the Bible says, gather up the fragments that remain. And the Bible says here in verse 12, in, in, in verse 13, when they gathered them together, they filled the 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that eat. Hey, listen, people took so much food, they had leftovers and everyone was asked to put their leftovers back in the basket to do a demonstration of how much the Lord was doing. Hey, listen, whenever God gives something to you, he gives us more than we ever asked for. He does exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. But Jesus did all this, and we'll talk about the miracle in another message. Jesus did all this because this was a time of proving. This was a time where Jesus wanted to find out, will you pass or will you fail? I'm giving you a test, an examination to see where you're at in life. Very quickly this morning, I want you to notice how the Lord of glory speaks to us in this passage about things he wants to prove us in. To prove, the word prove means to assay. That's a metallurgical term. To assay means to determine the true worth and value something. It means to examine or scrutinize something. It means to try or determine whether a thing can be done. Jesus was doing this to prove what was in the heart and the lives of the disciples. Listen, the Lord works in our lives to prove us, to assay us, to scrutinize us, to get inside of our hearts and our thoughts, to find out where we are at in different phases of our Christian life. Where are we at in terms of growing? Where are we at in trusting the Lord? He does these things to prove us. He wants to know whether or not will you pass or will you fail. And listen, what I'm going to tell you this morning, this is not theory. This is not something we just, oh, that was great. That was great to hear that today. No, the Lord is putting this before us this morning at this critical juncture of Heritage Baptist Church to realize there's some things God is putting into our lives to see whether or not are you going to pass or are you going to fail. Number one, the Lord, notice here, the Lord does this to us this morning. Notice number one, will we pass or fail the test of foresight? And verse 5 says, when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him. He tests us in the area of foresight. Foresight is our ability to look ahead. It's the anticipation of a future event. It is being wise and prudent towards the future. Your foresight is being able to plan for the future. Foresight is looking forward to something and making the adequate plans. Listen, Jesus looked, uh, looked upon the multitudes. He got his eyes on them and he saw them come. The Lord wants to teach you and me to have foresight. As Jesus was looking on these multitudes, he was teaching these 12 disciples, part of leadership training, to have foresight. If you're, a, if you're, if you're desiring to be a spiritual leader, if you're serving an area of influence, you must have foresight. You must be able to look ahead. You must be able to see what is going on. You must have a glimpse of where we're going with things. Now, foresight involves our eyes and looking. May I suggest some things about spiritual foresight? Number one, would you write this down? In our foresight, we must look above. Amen? Amen. 
Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, leading into Hebrews 12, 1 is, 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 a, is the 11th chapter of Hebrews, which deals with the subject of faith. Everything in Hebrews 11 deals about faith and the exercise of faith. And so we look here as he gets to chapter 12. He's telling us, how can we keep faith? How can we have faith that pleases God? How can we have faith that gets the job done? How can we have faith that answers prayer? And he tells us in verse 1, we need to consider we're running a race. We're in this race with many witnesses watching us. Notice verse 2, Hebrews 12, 2. He tells us to look above. He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, remind you this morning that as we look in our foresight, we must look to Jesus. Our foresight involves looking above, looking to Jesus Christ. Don't look at your problem. Look at Jesus Christ. Don't look at how difficult it may be. Look at Jesus Christ. Don't look at what people say. Look at Jesus Christ. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Listen this morning. If I look at the world's problems, if I look at how much money I've got in my bank account, if I look at my, my situation, I look at my difficulties, I look at what, what, how I think things are turning out. If I look at those problems, I'll see problems. But when I see Jesus, I see Jesus. Amen. Look above. First of all, look to Jesus because he's our captain. That's what it means here. The author and finisher of our faith means our captain. He is our leader. He is our prince. Jesus was trying to get these disciples to have foresight. You see, as we look at John chapter 6, they had their eyes on the problem. They didn't have their eyes on the prince of glory. Amen? They had their eyes on what they couldn't do. They didn't have their eyes on what he could do. They had their eyes in the wrong place. I'm saying this morning, we must look to Jesus Christ because he's our captain. But notice, if you would, Hebrews 12, 2, we need to look to to Jesus because of the cross. Look into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. Now, Jesus had foresight. When his ministry began at age 30, he's looking down the pipeline three years later at the cross. The cross was not a difficulty. Praise God, the cross was a joy. The cross was not the giving just of his life. It was joy to him. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 too, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Hey, listen, whatever God puts before you, approach it with joy, amen? Have the joy of the Lord. Have an attitude of a winner. Approach it with joy. Who for the joy that was set before I'm going to tell you, there are a lot of things in life we face that are not, humanly speaking, a joy. We look at it and we have a little bit of reservation. We look at it and say, I'm not sure if I can get it done. I don't sure if I, I want to get involved. But Jesus Christ knew as the Lord of glory when God became man. He decided, he knew at that moment of time that he, would, he knew through all of eternity. And then, when he, and then when he began his ministry, that the cross would be the ultimate goal. Because the cross would be where he would die for the sin of all the world. But the Bible says in Hebrews 12 too, the cross, he approached it with joy and he endured the cross. Listen, as we looked at Jesus Christ, he despised the shame and he looked at this, he despised the suffering and his shame associated with look to Jesus because he's our captain. Look to Jesus because of the cross. But notice, we must look to Jesus because of his capacity. Amen. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And it's set at the right hand of God. And the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 3, For consider him which endured such contradiction of sinners, lest ye be wearied and faint in your own minds. We give up too easily, brother and sister in Christ. We quit too easily. We throw in the towel too easily. 
I want you to notice when we look above, we look at the capacity of our Lord Jesus Christ. He endured. He had long-suffering. Do you think it was easy for him to carry the cross after he'd been beaten up and his back was torn to shreds? Do you think it was easy for Jesus? He had a sleep, he had it there an entire night. He probably went 48 to 72 hours without any sleep. Don't you think his body was physically exhausted and weary? And don't you think after all the blood that he shed before he even went to the cross, what was going on? Don't you think that a normal man on a cross, suffering there on the cross, would curse, curse God and all of those things and those other thieves that were those thieves that were next to him did such a thing? But Jesus endured the cross and despised the shame. I'm just saying this morning, as we consider the nature of foresight, as God tests him for we must look above but notice secondly we must look ahead we must look around excuse me look around you notice the bible says here that a great multitude followed jesus and we read here in verse 5 when he lifted up his eyes he saw a great multitude come to you look at when we get to have foresight we must look above and we must look around us realize today there are opportunities around us we must look around what is the opportunity what is it God wants me to do God doesn't bring us to church just to sit there and to be entertained church was never meant to be a place of entertainment it was always to be a place where God energizes and exhorts us to do something for him look around you Jesus saw the multitudes and he was moved with compassion hey the, as a Christian we should be moved with compassion by the multitudes he saw the people as sheep scattered and having no shepherd the disciples response to all those people is Lord send them away that's our feeling sometimes when we're tired and we're weary we just say Lord send them away let's do with little not with more but Jesus at that moment said no that's not what we should do the hymn writer said this look all around you find someone in need help somebody today though it be little a neighborly deed help somebody today help somebody today somebody along life's way let sorrow be ended the friendless befriended or help somebody today listen we as we consider the foresight the test of foresight we must look above we must look around it but we must look ahead where was jesus going with all this Listen, as a believer, we must look ahead. We must take everything in view of eternity. We must look at the bigger picture, not on a small scale as to what's happening right now, but the bigger picture, what's going on. We're running a race. We're to keep our eyes on the finish line. We're to keep our eyes on the goal. We're to keep our eye on winning. Philippians 3, verses 13 to 14 in your notes. Notice. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know what the Apostle Paul was saying while there in his first imprisonment, chained to two Roman guards? You know what he's saying? I realize my situation. I'm not sure when I'm going to get out of this predicament. I realize my situation looks grim. I realize I have chains and I bond. But he says, listen, I'm forgetting the things which are behind. I'm reaching forth those things which are before. I set my my eyes towards the prize. Beloved in Jesus Christ, look above, look around, but look ahead. Look ahead to the prize. Look ahead to the opportunity. Look ahead to what Jesus Christ is doing for us. Many of you know the story there about Roger Bannister. Roger Bannister was the first man to break the one mile mark under four minutes. Man, that sent ripple waves throughout the running world. For the very first time, a human being had broken the, mile, the record for the mile by running beneath four minutes. Of course, now they're, they're running much, much faster than that. But at that time, it was at under four minutes. We sit very fast. <coughs> a man by the name of John Bannister challenged that. And then John Bannister also broke the four-minute mark. Now you had two men 
on different continents who were very the, considered the fastest runners as far as the one mile was concerned. And they pitted them together to have a great race. John Bannister against, against this, uh, Roger Bannister, uh, Rod, Roger Bannister against, John, against this man, John, uh, John Landy, excuse me. And so John Landy is, 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 is uh, raced up next to Roger Bannister to start running. And they're right neck and neck. And then a little bit there, John Landy got it pulled ahead of Roger Bannister in this race as they got to the fourth lap there on this, on this mile race. And he thought he was ahead. And then he was one, he didn't, he thought he didn't hear any footsteps steps behind him and he's wondering where Roger Bannister was and Landy's still going he's going very strong and just as he turned his head which he should have done to look backwards to see what's going on Roger Bannister saw this as opportunity and he picked up his pace and he ran ahead and beat John Landy to the finish line listen John Landy should have taken the advice of the Lord Jesus Christ he should have been looking ahead and had his eyes on the goal and had his eyes on the finish line a lot of us are like that we're running the race we start the race very well and we've got we, we agree with the idea that we must have foresight we must look ahead to the future we must must set our lives so we have some goals for our life and we're going in the right direction. We're looking above, we're looking around, we're looking ahead. But every now and then we might get tempted to look behind us. And as we look behind us, be very careful. And when you just slightly turn your head, you're distracted. Instead of your eye on the goal, you have your eye on something else. And just as John Landy, he turned his head, Roger Bannister passed him. Hey, listen, don't turn around and look at something else or some problem. And the opportunity or privilege or blessing that God wants you to have passes you up there. I'm just saying this morning, we see the test of foresight. Will you pass the test of foresight. Number two, notice our passage. Will you pass the test of faith? Everything about John chapter 6 is about faith. It's about faith. It's about the faith of these 12 men. Jesus is teaching these men about faith. He wants to know, will you pass the test of faith? Will you pass the test of foresight? But will you pass the test of faith? Notice, first of all, let's consider the directive of faith. What is faith? Faith is believing the impossible. Faith is seeing the invisible. Faith is doing the incredible for God. Listen, the directive of faith is found in Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, and I remind you this morning, without faith, churches don't grow. Without faith, people don't get saved. Without faith, listen, uh, prayers don't get answered. Without faith, nothing great is done for God. Hey, without faith, you can't get saved and go to heaven. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Aren't you glad today? He's not the God that was. He's the God who is. Amen. And he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Listen, this morning, we must have faith as the directive. Without faith, we are limiting God. Without faith, we're saying we don't need God. Without faith, we're saying we don't need to pray. Without faith, we're saying we don't need to grow our facilities and grow our church. Without faith, we're saying we don't need to give. Hey, we must have faith in order to please God. This morning, are you going to pass the test of faith? It's not just the directive of faith. Would you notice in verses 5 to 9, we see the spotlight on the deficiency of faith. Notice verse 7, we see Philip's deficiency. Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them. That every one of them may take, a, may take a little. You know, he had this mental calculation. He was an analytical person. He did this mental calculation. He saw, he saw thousands of people there. And he determined, Lord, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient. Even if they take just a little bit. He's saying, we just have a little bit of money. And based upon our limited resources, we shouldn't do anything. And based upon our limited bread, we, we, we're not going to be able to do enough. We can't buy enough bread. Hey, we remind you today, there was a time we looked at this Berean center. And we saw that center and thought of, we thought of the exorbitant 
evidence of the cost. And we thought, is it even possible we could do it? We don't have enough resources. We don't have enough money to do it. But we launch out by faith. And thank God this morning for a church that believed by faith that we could get the job done. Praise God for that. Amen. And there we had the Bereans that are standing up as a testimony of God's faith. Now may I say today, many of us are like a Philip. We get to our mental calculation and we start thinking your mind, there's not enough. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough resources. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough age. I don't have enough smarts. I don't have enough this. I don't have enough that. He said 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient, even if they take just a little. Instead of looking to Jesus and saying, Christ, what do you want to do? And Lord, you know you're capable of doing it. He looked within himself. Instead of looking to the Lord of glory, we see Philip's deficiency. Now notice we see Andrew's deficiency. Andrew went a little bit further and he, he saw the Lord Jesus Christ and, and, he, and he looked at this little boy and he found this boy and he brought the boy to Jesus. And he said in verse 9, there's a ladder which has five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so little? Listen, at least he went a little bit farther and he found somebody that has some meaningful resource. He found a little boy, and he, but he's thinking in his mind, I don't know what this can do. I don't know what Jesus can do with this. All these are barley loaves and two little fishes. Do you understand the deficiency of even Andrew's faith? Andrew did not, did not believe that Jesus could multiply. And Andrew did not believe that Jesus could turn these, these loaves and fishes into a sumptuous meal that could feed thousands of people. All he saw were the little barley loaves and two little fishes. Hey, listen, that's what happens with a deficient faith. We see the little chairs, and we see the little buildings, and we see the little room, and we see the little people, and we can't get our minds around the fact that one day we see a bigger room and a bigger facility and more chairs and more people, more opportunities, and men going out and preaching the gospel. We get our minds wrapped up in our little things. What are these among so many? How are we going to make this happen? We look at our area here of Alameda County of 1.8 million people, and we wonder as a church running about 600 people. How are we going to reach them? What are we among so little? But I remind you today, our eyes are not supposed to be on our resources and our eyes are not supposed to be on us and our eyes are not supposed to be on what we can do. Our eyes need to be on the God of glory, the God who's all-powerful, all-knowing and all-seeing and realizing that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. A deficient faith focuses on the limitations and not on the Lord. Deficient faith focuses on our ability, not his ability. Deficient faith focuses on the problem, not on prayer. Oh, we see this matter of faith, or Jesus is testing them in the matter of faith. And by the way, he's testing us in the area of faith. Will you pass or fail when it comes to faith? There's a directive of faith. We see the deficient faith, but notice the demonstration for faith. Jesus takes the donation. Don't ever think your offering's too small. Or don't ever think it's, you're too big to give to Jesus. Amen? The Lord gives, looks up to heaven and gives thanks for the food. He distributes. The people take as much as they wanted, and they were hungry. They were all filled. Jesus went a step further. He says, okay, men, go find 12 baskets. Gathered the fragments of rain, and I don't think even in their mind, their wildest imaginations, they, they comprehended they would all come back with baskets filled and overflowing with leftover bread and fish. Incredible had occurred. Jesus did the supernatural. And the sad thing is we read through this passage of Scripture, we go back to Mark, Mark chapter 6. 
There was unbelief in the hearts of these men. They just didn't think Jesus was capable of doing it. Will you pass or fail the test of faith? Last Monday, the 28th, boarded a plane to go to, over to Asia to be with Pastor Ed Lorena. My son Justin came with me. And for years, I've wanted to see the works that he established in the country of Taiwan. And so we made plans that we boarded a plane that would have a stopover in, in Taiwan. And we'd be there for two to three days. I think it was three days we were there. And Taiwan's a country that's very interesting. It's um, the typical Western missionary that goes there. If he can get a church running 50 people after 15 to 20 years, that's considered a good-sized church. And I'm not discounting the, the day of small number. I'm just saying that they work hard. There's a lot of unbelief, there's a lot of materialism, there's a lot of worldliness, there's a lot of idolatry, a lot of things they contend with. Brother Reina got a burden because he had some church members that got saved, and some people got saved in his church, they were church members, and they went over to Taiwan to work. He started to realize he kept in contact with some of these people, they wanted to start a church. You know, today, after the very first church they started was there in the city of Kaohsiung. Kaohsiung is on the southern part of Taiwan. My wife was actually born in the city of Kaohsiung. And there in Kaohsiung, he had just a handful of people. In 1995, they started a mission work, the Christian Bible Baptist Church Mission Church there in Kaohsiung. And just recently, the church just celebrated, somewhere around 94, 95 they started, they just celebrated their 25th anniversary, and they had in excess of 350 people in that church, 126 that were saved. We were staying in another city there, and we, we, took, we took the bullet train, and probably took us about close to two hours, hour and 40 minutes, well, the cab and everything, probably about two hours to get there to, to meet with these people, and this amazing group of people, very resilient people, they, a lot of them work at night, and they have just, just really tough job schedules, but we had about 50, 60 people there, they're waiting patiently for us to arrive, they'd already gotten there probably an hour or so before we got there, and they're waiting for it, the song leader was already leading his songs, and we got there, we got up to start preaching, God just started working there, and we went there from Kaohsiung to several other cities, and got to see the works and it's an amazing thing what started off with just a handful of people today there are seven thriving works in the country of taiwan two more are scheduled to be started in fact brother reynos we as we were getting ready to leave on wednesday he said brother fong pray for us we've got another one we're starting in taiwan i'm going there in march to launch off another work there the amazing thing about all seven of those works, there is no full-time pastor over all those works. Dr. Lorena is still the pastor over all those. What's amazing are laymen who carry full-time jobs, men like, engin like Brother Mac, who's an engineer, who is a Filipino but learned to speak Mandarin, very conversant in Mandarin, and kind of was our guide through all of the things on the first couple of days there. These laymen are there serving as preachers, preaching Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon and Wednesday nights and special meetings and organizing the believers there to get the job done. It's amazing what God does through faith. We went from Taiwan there after spending several days and being encouraged by the works where there's, the works are as small as 40 to as much as 150 in size. And we went there from Taiwan. We went over that last Friday there. We, we took a plane and got over to Manila. We had some church members meet us there as we came out of the, uh, the, uh, the, the airport there. And uh, we got in a van, one of the church vans. We made our way up to San Pedro where Brother Lorena's church is at. And we began there on that night, actually that Saturday morning, a nonstop schedule. In fact, the whole schedule, our, 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 our days went anywhere from 14 to 18 hours straight. We, were, we hardly got any sleep during that time. We were up most of the time about 3 o'clock in the morning because we couldn't sleep. And we just went out and started doing things. What you see up here is a picture of the, of the Sunday morning last week, which was then Saturday our time. 
and that Dr. Lorena had planned on, this was their 40th anniversary, and for over a year's time, actually two years ago, he asked me, would you please come and preach, come be one of the preachers for my 40th anniversary, and I want you to preach the gospel that Sunday morning. And so this particular, this particular anniversary, because they're 40 years old, they set as a goal, we want to see 40,000 visitors come and hear the gospel. Can you imagine that with just a moment? 40,000 visitors to come and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I, we, we came, and uh, the week before, they went over the top. The week before, they had 23,000 visitors, both on-site and off-site. And so the week going into this, we got to Saturday night. Saturday morning, we were out there, and uh, we were out there. They had a parade around the whole city of San Pedro. They had 300 of their frontliners that were out there just in a parade, and they were wearing banners and things, just advertising what God was doing. And then Saturday night, I, I, I challenged the frontliners just to serving God and giving their best. And these are lay people. A number of them are lay people. They gave every weekday from 4 o'clock in the afternoon to 8 o'clock at night, going to areas as far as two hours out, visiting people, asking people to come. Sunday came. We prayed to Sunday. It was amazing what God did. And the services there in St. Pedro, here you see the crowds making their way. This is at 9 o'clock in the morning on the first service. And he didn't tell me I was going to preach two services. This is the first service. Here's the first service. Crowds there. This is a place, if you were looking for it, you couldn't find the church. That's an alleyway there. The big building on the back there, that, that's the church building. It wasn't like that before. It was just a dilapidated building. But over time, if they, they've saved and they've, they've salvaged and done what they can. We've given offerings. They've built a massive, massive church there that God is using. It's a four-story building there. And the services are held on three stories. You have a ground level like this that can squeeze, if you can believe it, about a room about the size of this. In fact, maybe even smaller than this. They squeeze, if you can imagine this, a thousand to fifteen hundred people on the bottom floor. Now, to give you perspective, we squeezed in here at one of our recent services, 500 people here, and that's putting people against the door. I mean, this is, they got about 1,000. They probably on that Sunday morning had about 12 to 1,500 people there. And then they had a, a vestibule area where they put another 500 chairs there. And then where you see this alleyway here, as soon as people got the way, where you see where the church building is at, they, they put a bunch of chairs there in the streetway. And so probably another 500 chairs there. And then right behind that on this side is a building that used to be a shell of a building. When Brother Tick and I went there, Brother Tick Medina went there in 2008, it was just a shell of a building. They saved up money and, and they built out a very beautiful building. And down below on the lobby is just, a, is just an overflow section. And again, another 1,000, 1,200 people there. And uh, we're thankful to God on that morning that we were able to preach the gospel to 4,400 first-time visitors to Christian Bible Baptist church. 90% of those people trusted Christ as Savior. We preached the gospel and they got saved. And then on that, after, as the service was ending, we are winding down. I preached twice to this group of people there. The members did not sit in the services. The members sat in classrooms and watched by live stream. So they cleared out that the, the, the overflow area and they cleared out, which that right there, that's the, the, the auditorium. The auditorium, they cleared that out. They kept the streetway clear. They kept the backside clear so that people could sit in there. And uh, as that was coming together, Brother Raina turned to me. We were sitting on the platform. He said, Pastor Fong, I just got the report. We had 78,000 visitors aside from this off-site throughout the whole province of Laguna. Now, those of you who know that province know that's a very big area there. But imagine 78,000 people off-site. How did they do that? 300 frontline workers did that. One man, Brother Danny, who was my driver to the airport on, on, on Wednesday. Brother Danny got saved in 1983. Worked for Pepsi-Cola Corporation there. God started working in his heart over time. And as a man 
man in his late 40s, early 50s, he told Pastor Lorena, Pastor, if you let me, I'll, I want to serve God full time for the rest of my life. Brother Danny oversees 14 jeepneys. 14 jeepneys are like minivans, except they can squeeze a lot more people in them, amen? And he, he oversees 14 jeepneys. Brother Danny told me last Sunday he had 476 people come on those jeepneys to the church services as we preached that day. And as he brought them in, he drove out as far as an hour and a half to two hours out to get them. These are lay people that worked from four, a minimum of four hours a day just going after people and trying to get them in. Well, these 78,000 people, let me tell you the miracle behind what God did. Alongside of that, they just set out their goal that we're going to bring all these people in. President Duterte of the Philippines announced in early January, we're going to declare the last Sunday of January to the last Sunday of February to be National Bible Month. And he says, we're going to declare that's going to be a month we want to emphasize on the Bible there. Now, I don't believe this man's born again. I don't believe he's saved. But the amazing thing is God touched this man's heart to declare the last Sunday of January to last Sunday of February to be National Bible Month. You know what I say about that? The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turns it whithersoever he will. Amen. And so this man's heart was touched with him. Pastor Lorena immediately thought, well, you know what? We're going to contact all the schools throughout all of the Laguna province and ask them if we can use their facilities. Every school he contacted allowed them to use for the next four to five weeks those school facilities for free. Zero balance. Amen. How many understand free? I love free. Amen. Free. That's how they were able to get 78,000 people instead of trying to bring them in, which would have limited their ability. They brought all these people in these very schools. He put preachers in all those places, and they preached a simple, pure, unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. And of those 78,000, we're certain that probably 80 to 90% of those people trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. How do you explain all that? Faith! Here's the amazing thing. Brother Lorena started in San Pedro. One day he took a train. Around 1980, the train left, dropped him off at San Pedro. He got out, walked around. God touched his heart before the city. And I want you to imagine this with me for just a minute. He started with only 385 pesos support. $6 a month. It was so hard for them that they would burn, the, to, to give milk for his babies, if you can imagine this, they burned the rice and took the bottom of that and just put water and boiled water to produce it, if you would, as rice for his children. You say, well, were they mal- malnutrition? Well, I looked at Melge and Michelle. They looked pretty healthy to me, amen? As I looked at those 300 frontliners, I've looked at how God has helped them take a very impossible, that's the frontliners right there, a very possible situation of buildings. I looked at people that were bone wears. I preached on Saturday night to those frontliners. I mean, it was in a hot very steamy, humid room. It was probably about 110 degrees. I was soaked through my shirt within five minutes. I looked at those people who were tired, and they still had Sunday school training after that. They still had a few more things going on. And then some of them went to choir practice. Choir, if you think it's hard here, you ought to go to Brother Lorena's church. They had choir practice and orchestra practice. Then they had men's prayer time at 10 o'clock at night. And the morning started for most of those people, 6 o'clock in the morning. Some of them were doing triple duty. You think it's hard doing triple duty. Those same men driving those jeepneys were men. There were head ushers governing and watching over everything. I didn't even know it. He had a retired general there that was part of the Filipino National Police, a retired general part of the PNE. He was my bodyguard during the whole period. I didn't even know that he had been, I had a bodyguard for all that. At least somebody thought I was worth something, amen, you know. 385 pesos, amen, you know. 
How do you explain all that? Faith. Amen? Tuesday, we had homecoming. It began as just a small work that became self-sufficient in seven months. It has blossomed to 170 works around the world. Works in Taiwan, works in Thailand, works in Laos, works in Vietnam, works in Singapore. They're praying and studying over to start a work in Japan. He's, pray, he's asked us to come alongside him to start a work in downtown Hong Kong. We're praying over that right now. They got works in Dubai. I mean, they've got works all throughout all of, all of the Philippines. I mean, he had about eight or nine preachers that came from Iloilo. I mean, there's, Iloilo's just got a lot of people there. And as we assembled there at this, at this, uh, at this Baptist Distinctist Conference, he was burdened that a lot of the, the pastors there are being influenced by, by Western thought and were getting away from Baptist Distinctist. He started a Baptist Distinctist Conference. We had the opportunity to help him start that the, three years ago when we was there. And we just had, we just had a great time. Met some preachers that never, I didn't know before and just had a wonderful, wonderful time. God was all over that. So the first day, Tuesday, was the, was the, the homecoming for all of those different works. 6,000 people assembled there in the Santa, uh, the Santa Rosa Stadium. That's not our Santa Rosa, okay? That's the Santa Rosa over there, about two exits away from San Pedro. The mayor of that city, he told him this is our 40th anniversary. Amazing thing. The mayor said, you can use this for free, Pastor Lorena. That costs, what, about $10,000 a day, U.S. money or something like that? I mean, they said, you can use it for free for one day, Pastor Lorena. We had 6,000 people. You should have heard the congregation sing. You should have heard the amening going on there. I mean, you talk about a Baptist conference. This was a Baptist conference. Amen? How do you explain all that? Faith! Listen, uh, thank God for a man who's believed God for 40 years by faith. It can be done. It should be done. And it will be done. Hey, I want to ask you a question this morning. Will you pass the test of faith? The test of foresight, test of faith very quickly. Number three, would you write this down? Will you pass the test of fire? Real quickly. What do you mean fire, Pastor Fong? Well, in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 11 to 15, Every believer, every believer will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Not for your salvation. Listen, your salvation, your sins were already judged on the cross when Jesus died for you. Past, present, and future. Your sins have already been judged on the cross. That's why we can rejoice in 1 John 1, 7. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. All sin. Past, present, future. But, what are, but what's going to be tried by fires? What are you doing for the Lord right now? And there's two categories of people, quickly. We're either building on gold, silver, and precious stones, uh, commodities that when they go through the fire, the fire purifies it, but it doesn't cause it to perish. Or you're building on wood, hay, and stubble, commodities that are combustible, that burn up, and when they're burned, they perish. Now listen, you're either building on perishable items or non-perishable items. When your works go through the fire, what will be left at the end? And when the fire has tested it, what's going to be done? Listen, when we're tested by the fire, will you pass or will you fail? If you're going through a trial and the fiery trial, is it going to turn you into gold or does it represent what's really inside of you that you're a miserable 
a person who doesn't enjoy living for God or does it show that you're trusting God and having faith that he's going to make you something better to that situation? I have to say today, as we think about the fires of life and one day the fire of God in heaven upon our works, what will the fire determine about our works? Will it be works that will remain, that we can leave at the feet of Jesus Christ? Or will they be works that will perish in the fire? Will you pass the test of fire? And finally, as we close this morning, would you consider one last thing today? This is for everyone here today who's never received Jesus Christ as Savior. Will you pass the test of foresight? Will you pass the test of faith? Will you pass the test of fire? But the final one today as we close, will you pass the test of final judgment? Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed to men once to die. And after this, the judgment. You must decide today, when you leave this life, where will you spend eternity? Will you be in heaven or will you be in hell? If you've repented of your sins and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you will be in heaven. Nine years ago, Judy Zhang and her parents, Chi Nanakau, were faithful members, attendees of our church. Had the privilege of baptizing Judy and her two daughters, Megan and Jessica. In 2010, her husband, Felix, was diagnosed with cancer. My wife has been the, had been the piano teacher for Jessica and Megan for years. So we knew the family very well. And Felix would always come to the recitals for his daughters. And very nice. At that time, he was an engineering, uh, computer engineer over at Yahoo Corporation. Sometimes he would go out of his way and say, Pastor Fong, you ought to consider just writing to Yahoo and seeing if they'll, they'll maybe give some money to your, to your church and help you with your expansion, things like that. And I was very thankful for his thoughtfulness. He always came with a very thankful, kind heart. And one day, Jess, uh, Judy let my wife and I know that Felix was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. I had never witnessed it, Felix before then. I finally made an appointment to go see him. And I said, Felix, we really need to come see you. And we went to see him. And he was staying with his in-law's house, brother Mrs. Cow's house. And we started talking there. And we sat down on the couch. And I started talking about the wonderful news that Jesus died for sins and rose him from the dead and offered him the gift of eternal life. He was a little skeptical at, the, at that time because of his background, things like that. But he patiently listened as I explained the gospel to him and showed him and proved him from the scriptures that Jesus is the Son of God who is eternal and Jesus is the Son of God who died for his sins. An amazing thing is, as Felix considered all that, he says, what you're really telling me, Pastor Fong, is that I've either got to believe or if I don't believe, I'm going to go to hell. I said, don't you want to believe Jesus is your Savior? He said, yes, sir. And I'm thankful back in 2010, Felix Zhang bowed his head and called upon the name of the Lord to be saved. A month and a half ago, as he started going through some health trials, his cancer situation worsened, and he was over here at Kaiser down the street from us. He got worsened in some things. I went over to see him on an afternoon and went to talk to him a little bit, and he was having a hard time. He was having blurred vision. He was having dizziness and vertigo, a number of things going on there, and having to have assistance to walk around. He sat down in the chair inside that private room he had, and I sat down next to him, and I said, Felix, I just want to ask you, eight years ago, you trusted Jesus Christ, your Savior. You said that you knew you were saved. I want to ask you, Gwen, today, do you know for sure you're saved and going to heaven? Listen to me, and I'm done. Felix said, Pastor Fong, he looked at me eye to eye, and I'm not sure if I look blurry or not. He looked at me eye to eye, and he said, Pastor Fong, I know for certain that if something happened today, I'm going to heaven to be with my Savior. Amen. This past Monday, 1.51 p.m., Felix breathed his last breath in this life but started breathing eternal life as he appeared in the presence of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, this morning you must answer the question, will you pass the test of final judgment? If you wait till you breathe your final breath, 
that you want what to do with Jesus Christ is too late. Now is the time to do something with Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us this in, Hebrew, in, in Acts 4.12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. This morning, you can be saved. This morning, you can be 100% sure that heaven's your home, your sins are forgiven, and that you can know that the gift eternal life is yours. And today, our greatest desire for you as a church, if you don't know Christ your Savior, that you would pass the test of final judgment. Receive Jesus today as your Savior. Trust in him today to save you from your sins. And then for every believer here today, I would encourage you this morning to consider your life. Will you pass the test of foresight? Will you pass the test of faith? Will you pass the test of fire? If not, this is a good time just to recalibrate your life and come before the Lord and say, Lord, I want to get things right so that I'm where I need to be in my life. Do we have the faith like a Philip and an Andrew, or we have a faith like the little lad who donated his five loaves and two fishes to the Lord Jesus Christ? Father, this morning, we thank you today. As we draw to a close, we thank you this morning, Lord, for this precious story and how it points to us about really the accountability we have in life. Will we pass or will we fail? And from your perspective, Lord, from where you stand, according to the scriptures, you make it very clear there's no middle ground. We either pass or we fail. And I pray this morning perhaps there's a man or woman or boy or girl here today who's not absolutely sure where they're going to spend eternity. In their heart of hearts, they're not sure if they die today, they're going to heaven. But they may want to know, just as a lady yesterday trusted Christ as her Savior, and three ladies, Lord, in one of our extension ministries trusted Christ as their Savior on Friday night, this morning there might be a man or woman or boy or girl today who needs to be sure they're saved and going to heaven. Father, I pray that you stir up in their heart faith to believe and call upon Jesus Christ to save them.